You're listening to The A-Game, an adcom podcast chronicling the week in media, technology, and agency life, featuring Jim Ganser and Jeff Culleton. Hello and welcome to the program. This is The A-Game podcast. My name is Jim Ganser, VP of Media. Joining me for today's conversation, fellow VP, Account Director, Digital Strategist, Mr. Jeff Culleton. Good afternoon, my friend. It is good to have you back. Always. And joining us this week, a very special guest, we've got uh, TJ Salpeck. He is the Interactive Marketing Lead at Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company, and he is a digital strategist. Um, so what better conversation to have than what's trending in the age of COVID and beyond for marketing, specifically through the lens of uh, digital? So TJ, welcome to the program. Thank you guys for having me on. Um, really happy to, to jump on and, and talk digital. Uh, I know we're, we're time constrained, so I'll try to be brief, um, but really happy that you guys put this on. Well, the better, the better your quality, the better I'm, the more we're willing to go. So don't, don't, uh, <laughs> don't hold up too much for us. Yeah, it's a very buttoned up program, this podcast. So, so we'll, we'll try to roll with the punches, but I figure the best way to get started for our listeners is just tell us a, a quick uh, bio of yourself, just so everybody understands uh, who you are, where you're coming from. Yeah, so currently uh, Interactive Marketing League with Goodyear. Um, and so I run a lot of the programmatic um, marketing for our e-commerce channel through Goodyear. Uh, prior to that, I was in the media space, so worked for uh, Spectrum and Tegna uh, in different capacities, whether it was on their e-commerce sites or media sales. Um, and so I uh, have a pretty in-depth knowledge of that industry as well. Great, great. So why don't we get started? I mean, a lot has changed in the past couple of months, obviously. Um, and some of the changes have been from a consumer standpoint, because more and more people are operating from within their own homes, as opposed to being out in the world. What are the online trends that you guys are looking at closely right now and monitoring? Um, why don't we start with you, TJ? So something that I'm actually really looking at is just how TV is going to change from this. So, I mean, I know we're talking online trends, but I think the launch of all of these subscription services, you know, Netflix has reported that uh, their subscribers are up, um, you know, through this pandemic. You've got Peacock that has kind of done a soft launch. HBO Max just launched uh, the other day, right? And so all of this is kind of eating into the traditional um, TV landscape. Um, which really everything's online. So I kind of bucket that in the online bundle. Um, and so it's going to be really interesting to see like how these major companies like a Comcast and AT&T uh, of Verizon come out of this um, because of all this proliferation. Obviously they own, Pe Comcast owns Peacock. So, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, vertical integration there. Um, but that that's something that I think is really, we need to watch and understand where this money is moving um, in the ad space because everybody's after that TV dollar. Um, and the sad thing for TV is that during these huge economic crisis, like the great recession right now with, with COVID, you have increased viewership, uh, with news, but nobody to spend the dollars, right? Or you have people that are moving to, if you're an advertiser, a big concern is great. You have all these people watching video that's on Netflix or Amazon prime, or Disney Plus, you can't insert advertising there. 
right? And so there's there's a really uh, interesting dynamic because you're as an advertiser, you're trying to get your video message out and people are watching, but they're watching in different formats that you can't talk to them. So there's going to be special points if you can name the difference between all of the HBO subscriber services right now, because with the launch of HBO Max and the litany of other ones, I just I just can't anymore. Um, but to your point on TV, do you think this opens up kind of acquisition targets for so so the the, the media giant is has shifted Facebook, Instagram, Google, um, and Amazon. Do the do the does the TV landscape still hold enough value in your opinion for uh, you know kind of a, a separate strategies or do you think it's it's kind of melding into one that could cause cannibalization? So I, I do think there is going to be con still consolidation. I think what's interesting though with consolidation when you look at like the traditional companies like I mentioned AT and T, um, and I mentioned Verizon for example. If you or in, in Comcast for that matter, those three companies are the top ten in corporate debt load in the world, right? Really? And so that uh, you know you can look them all up there. You know, hundreds of billion, a hundred billion dollars in debt. So you know that obviously you know that kind of debt load is going to uh, raise some eyebrows if you're trying to acquire. So I really see the the acquisitions happening at a Google, a Facebook level who are cash very cash rich right now, cash is king. Um, and they already have the platforms that they can integrate their digital, th their digital properties with, with maybe more of a traditional one. I, I really see like if, if it's a, a well, quote unquote, a traditional TV company, let's take a Comcast, who's a dis distributor and a content owner. Um, I really see them investing more in buying digital, other digital platforms that are a little less expensive than a major um, a, a major purchase, like in, combining with like a Cox or somebody like that, um, at least in the in the short term. Um, but I think corporate debt load is something that to take a look at with those those large companies um, and maybe a hindrance to potentially uh, purchasing these or or merging with these other companies. TJ, from a programmatic standpoint, what what's the biggest challenge in? trying to cash in on this trend towards streaming right now. Obviously there's a lot of players in the marketplace that you allude to. What's the biggest challenge? I, I think one of the biggest challenges right now, probably two things. One is the actual streaming that people are watching. Um, you, it's not ad insertable, right? And so I find that's an issue, right? The, the other issue is if we kind of break down streaming into maybe connected TV, the, the pipes to deliver the advertising are still in, in some ways being built. And so there's, there's an issue with just inventory uh, because of that. Um, and if you kind of look at the whole industry in general, you know, if you kind of think of just the three ways you can advertise either through, you know, adjacency to content, right? So like think you're going to New York Times and then you see an ad on the side of a page, right? That's kind of going away. Then you have like a passive way that you, ingest content and you can see an ad, right? So think Facebook news feeds. And the other one is intrusion, right? So your pre-roll video or, or even like seeing an ad on TV. Two of those, two out of the three outside of passive is going away. 
And so the shift of like how those media companies make money and also provide value to the customer and the advertiser, uh, I think is a major challenge. Um, whether it's programmatic, or you're buying it direct, you know, you're, everybody's clamoring for that premium content, but there's less and less ad space to display, uh, display as an advertiser. So I, I think that becomes interesting, especially at one point to me. So we talk a lot about Google and Facebook as market share leaders in this and just having so much of the glut. But and it's, it's obviously becoming more uh, of a, a point of contention now. But Amazon sits on, you know, from an e-commerce standpoint, the single richest consumer purchase database that's ever existed. And up until maybe the last 18 months, they've been very protective of it. Um, you know, do you see them in the next, like now taking this kind of ripple in, in time to really ramp up and grab a much bigger piece of that market share? And if they do, who is most likely to get hurt by it? Is it Google or Facebook? That, that's a really interesting one. Um, Amazon, you know, I've, I've kind of read that, you know, they're looking at acquiring AMC right, the, the movie theater chain, right? Like think what, what's happened to their business and what will happen to their business. Um, you know, I see right now Amazon in a battle with Google directly. Um, and mainly because they, they share a lot of the same attributes in, in some ways, right? Like you could kind of think of like the search battle, um, you know, albeit Google still wins overall searches, but from a product perspective, more searches happen first on Amazon now. Yeah. Right. And so they're battling for that, that shopping space. They're battling for video, right? You've got YouTube TV and you've got prime video, some different models, but they're, they're battling for that space. So I see, I don't, I don't know if Google necessarily is going to be hurt by Amazon, mm -hmm. but they'll probably see more of the impact. Whereas is Facebook um, is, is truly a social channel that's branching out. Um, but I don't necessarily see them being impacted as much by Amazon in that way. Um, obviously, like they're trying to, they're trying to become another buying channel. Like they just announced recently, Facebook just announced uh, Facebook is it shops things, Facebook shops for small businesses, right? Which is uh, a huge portion of their their revenue comes from small businesses to be able to uh, have them be able to shop consumers shop their their inventory on their platform. Um, so you know that that's just another channel, but I don't necessarily see Amazon being able to disrupt Facebook as much. That's a good point, bringing up Facebook shop. Question for Jeff. Obviously, they're not going to necessarily go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Amazon, but giving small businesses an opportunity to create a social storefront, creating social commerce, should Amazon really be concerned about what's going on with Facebook right now? Um, you know, I, Facebook for me is, you know, they win on, like, 20% of these gambles to just like replicate other, uh, other, other or buy, but replicate other platforms. I really, I don't think so. You know, the, the scale and the fulfillment of Amazon, I just, you know, it's, it's so outside the purview of, of what Facebook has to offer right now. I, I don't particularly think they do. That being said, you know, there is, I think in small, small business, I think on a personal level, people are comfortable um, transacting on Facebook, but I, I don't think they've shown them to be a dynamic e-commerce platform in a way that they would have hoped uh, even a couple of years ago. 
And, you know, I always, I always, I couch it kind of through the eyes. You say Facebook and Amazon um, or Google and Amazon. I always think of Amazon's biggest competitor as Walmart and why, you know, they're attacking things from a different angle. Like, you know, they're the best e-commerce platform, but they didn't have brick and mortar. And Walmart had, you know, the brick and mortar, but they didn't have the e-commerce platform. And obviously through multiple acquisitions and growth, they're, they're both trying to meet in the center there. I don't see Facebook as having that level of consumer trust. And, you know, you could just, you could call it whatever, the little erosions, the death by a thousand paper cuts, the Zuckerberg and, you know, in front of the, the House of Representatives. I, people are very comfortable communicating. I just don't think they ever got there. Not saying that they won't, um, but in terms of just a, a, a transaction mechanism. Yeah, just to kind of go off of um, that point. So I, I think Facebook, um, you know, I've always kind of considered them more of a consideration part of the funnel, right? When, when executing. Um, it's also not the best at discovering brands. I feel like Instagram is much better at like, if you want to discover a brand, it's just easier to do on Instagram. Totally agree. Um, and, and so I actually am more interested in what Instagram will do with the shops because I feel like that's a much more natural platform to discover these new brands and discover lo these, these local, these local and medium sized businesses versus a Facebook. I don't think it'll ever be close to being able to be like that last the last touch of a consumer. Um, I think that's going to be really hard for Facebook to do uh, given some of the trust and just given, is it a, a platform that you're willing to buy on right there? Um, but it might be something where, you know, they can be attributed to, uh, you know, contributing to a sale, at least in the consideration set. It feels like it always felt to me like Facebook and Instagram were the psychological rating and review before rating and review before physical rating and review. Like, you know, most people, you know, if you, if you, if you write a review, you're either real upset or real happy. There's not a ton of in between. It's either ones or fives. And, you know, there's, there's obviously some, some variance in between there, but there's a real, in my opinion, psychological aspect to the popularity of things being, you know, a, a tip of the hat, you know, somebody, you think they've got good style. They follow this thing. Oh, that's a, that's a subconscious uh, approval. Um, or potentially disapproval on something, but yeah, you're right. It never, it never to me had had warranted, even though the you know the targeting is so good, it never warranted getting down to that middle level or that lower level uh, in the same way. Yeah, I, I think you know Facebook, um, and we can probably talk about this all day. I mean, obviously Facebook and Instagram are still dominant as far as users, and I think I believe their their growth. Uh, that Facebook's growth actually increased during this period. Obviously people are home, have a little bit more time on their hands. Right. Um, you know, but Facebook is in just this, this stage of like any business where, you know, you grow, you grow, you grow. And then now you need to take as much value as possible from a customer. Right. And so they have to find uh, either other, other ways to advertise to them, which you've kind of seen, or you have to provide more value out of the current customers to get that same output. Um, and so they're just like any business, they're kind of in that space where they're trying different things. They're trying to innovate other products because they know that their user growth is probably going to be capped. Right. And so they're either going to have to keep 
acquiring all these other social platforms, which we can, can become expensive and who knows what's going to hit, right? Like is TikTok going to be around in two years? I don't know. I mean, it might. I mean, those, uh, dances, those dances are good. Jim does Those dances are good. But, you know, like, is it going to be around in two years? And so, you know, I think the the act of acquiring a lot of those is expensive and you just don't know how that's going to fold into your platform. Can you handle it? Um, and so they have to get as much value as possible out of their current customer base um, to keep increasing the revenues, whether that's directly through social commerce or uh, ad revenue or getting into the TV space. You know, they have to find other ways to get the, the max value out of those customers because they're kind of on that, that you know, you think of the, the life cycle of a company, they're not quite on the downslope, but, you know, soon they will head there if they don't keep innovating uh, different products or finding uh, ways to get value out of those customers. So, so customers are increasingly clicking through and purchasing online with everybody being at home right now. And we've, we've seen trends throughout the past couple of months. There's an article uh, published in New York Times about a week or a week or a half ago where they talked about um, Amazon, Target, and Walmart. Curious uh, from, from your perspective, TJ, as well as you, Jeff, who stands to gain the most from this trend upward in e-commerce? Is it Walmart? Is it Target? Or is it just more for Amazon? What's your take? So, so first, I think we should acknowledge if Amazon, like think of this, think of COVID happening 20 years ago, the chaos that would happen without having Amazon have built this infrastructure. It's a great right? point. And have pushed Walmart to become an online retailer. A much different pandemic, probably even more in, in some aspects, more dangerous, right? You'd have to go out more than you've ever had before. And now even with COVID, they were able to make deliveries with Prime in a week. I mean, that's unbelievable, mm -hmm. the innovation. And so, you know, I don't think there, there's clear winners and losers. And I think the winners are the big companies that went all in on e-commerce first. The ones that have struggled, you can see, are already declaring bankruptcy, right? So your JCPenney, your J. Crew, uh, I think Neiman Marcus went bank, just filed for bankruptcy, right? I mean, it's, it is tough it's tough for them to um, keep up now that, you know, they've just lost so much ground and they weren't really ready um, to go full on e-commerce and understand that, um, that customer journey um, through, through their e-commerce channel. So good. I'd love to hear what Jeff has to say. I, I, I'm so interested right now, not, not to ask you about your brand per se, but what you think of legacy brands who have pivoted well, because I'm always, I'm very interested, this is about as nerdy as you can possibly get, but I'm very interested in the topic of technical debt. So as- Jeez, Jeff. <laughs> bet you didn't get, didn't think you were gonna get some technical debt on a Thursday afternoon. Wow. But technical debt being the idea of these older companies over time have built out you know, uh, technical infrastructure, uh, you know, digital platforms, all of these things. And because of the nature of the expense of it, some of them are public, you're bolting things together. It makes them very hard to manipulate and become nimble with. And the companies that started 20 years ago have less technical debt than a company that started 100 years ago and therefore have an advantage in disrupting those older companies. But I am very curious, you work for a company who's extremely, I mean, 100 plus years old, more than 100 years old. 
Um, have you seen a company that is an older organization? We've got all these older ones that are shedding off that you look at and you're like, man, you guys, like you're, you're adapting, you're, you're, you're nimble. And I'm really interested in how you're doing it. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, certainly Goodyear has been nimble. I mean, I can't get too deep into everything, but, um, certainly has been nimble of like starting e-commerce and one of the first to do that, uh, and taking the risk to do that. Um, but I, you know, I think look at Walmart. I mean, if, if you look at a company that was purely brick and mortar, right. And was at major risk, maybe not even less than 10 years ago, and then battled their way battled their way through, you know, the, the Amazon Prime era of not really having an online solution like that, acquiring jet.com, right? You know, they figured out how to provide these services to their base customer um, and do it really well and provide, you know, curbside delivery, understand the grocery business and how that impacts them and be able to do some of that online. Um, I think they're one that has really kind of figured that out as a retailer, um, very quickly, um, to be, to maintain, uh, their status as one of the, the, one of the top retailers in the world. Um, you know, when you look at like just traditional companies, I think this is just glaring on how, how much, you know, some companies have not invested in e-commerce structure. Right. And so before we even got into this, you had all of these direct consumer companies, you know, death by a thousand cuts. Like if you look at, uh, there's probably like some infographic on uh, P&G and all of their direct to consumer competitors, right? And everybody trying to get into that space. And it's because they can do it so easily and be very direct to customer. Um, you know, it is hard. It is harder for a potentially a legacy company that hasn't went all in on e-commerce because they have maybe so much to lose on a traditional retail front. Um, but I think that I think Walmart would be a perfect example of like how how quickly a company that's dedicated to it can um, can really benefit. And I, I don't I don't have an answer to this per se, but I think it is an interesting topic. And and is so we have a lot of B two B clients, and we talk a lot about how one of Jim's favorite topics is when B two B you know executives talk about not wanting to use Facebook. Uh, and you know, Jim actively turns red and, and stumps it and say that, you know, these people, you know, there's a billion people on this platform. Do you think these executives are just executives all the time? Or do you think yeah. people, uh, Our audience is not on Facebook. Doesn't exist, but what it, what it has done is just like responsive design in, 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 uh, in web builds is we become very snobbish to things and, um, you know, if you went to a, a site on your phone that was not mobilely responsive, you would likely like drop your phone and shatter it and not know what to do with yourself. But you would very likely never go back to that brand for a lot of people. I'm curious to see how all of this rapid adoption and change in B2B or excuse me, in B2C consumer facing things is going to actually trail over to B2B and what that's going to mean for, you know, the B2B experience, it's a longer tail. It's not as, as, as gratifyingly quick, but you know, what are people going to expect now? Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it's kind of interesting. Like if you kind of think of what trends and just as a consumer might kind of stick here, um, you know, the delivery services, I don't think they're going away. This was like their trial run and I think people really like them. Right. Um, 
you know, being able to do curbside pickup and be able to pay in a cashless manner. I mean, cash is a bad thing to have, like physical cash, right? So will that propel like some of the Apple Pay? Like some of those just expectations, I think that the consumer has now that it maybe been propelled by all of this, uh, whether B2B or B2C uh, are going to take hold. And I think the companies that, you know, had the equity with those customers before the pandemic are only benefiting. The people that are like, you know, think of like a company that, that spent no time curating any of their first party data and talking to their customers all the time, right? All of a sudden this pandemic happens, they're not, the customer's not gonna be like, oh, now I just trust them. Because <laughs> now I'm hearing from them and they sound so genuine about this. I, that just doesn't happen, right? I mean, that takes a lot of time to build that brand equity. Um, and so the people that won or are winning now are the ones that were preparing and being true to their brand the entire time, right? And not just looking to be opportunistic. Um, once something actually happens, they might benefit, right? And so the people that had the infrastructure and were building this out and really investing prior to this are going to win out because they went all in prior to being pushed to be all in. That's a, that's a tough position to be in. Okay, guys, it is officially the two-year anniversary of GDPR. We should throw so, a birthday party. Yeah, it's a birthday party. Talk about, talk about nerdy pursuits. But all kidding aside, the, at its core, GDPR was designed to protect consumer personal data. Looking back on it over the past two years, what's your take on 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 the success of GDPR in doing so. Um, where are we at currently? What are the steps that need to happen in order to have this kind of come full circle? TJ, that's a you question. So, you know, I think obviously GDPR is, you know, the, the Euro-based legislation. Um, and so I think GDPR did help at least craft and push um, some of the state-by-state -state legislation that's happening now with the the CCPA in California. Um, you know, I, I think initially there was some, definitely people were scared of, as an advertiser and somebody selling data, um, you know, there was some apprehension of probably buying some of that data and making sure that it was GDPR compliant. You know, I think as we kind of move forward and we think of what's happening in the States right now, I really, I do think that you're going to start seeing some of the third party data companies and collection become a lot more consent based. So it's going to be really important if you do buy data that you know that somebody has consented and is, has kind of uh, opted in. Right. So I think you'll see some of that um, and, and potentially a shift back to um, more content based advertising just kind of given the landscape of the data that's available. Uh, I also think you're going to really see a shift of a lot of in-house, you know, first party data curation, right? So being able to collect your own data, knowing where it's sourced, where it's coming from um, and building models upon that. Um, you know, I think that's really where it's going in the privacy space. What's interesting is that, you know, all of this is kind of hurt, hurling forward, we're, we're going towards consumer privacy and then the pandemic happens. And now I think we're understanding what a consumer is willing to give up for the privacy, right? So, you know, you had uh, Google and Facebook kind of come together for a tracing app, right? Um, and so, you know, if 
if the consumer's willing to give that privacy up, if they're getting something or there's a huge social benefit in return for it. Um, but I don't see privacy necessarily in terms of advertising going away anytime soon, right? I think, you know, the consumer is very educated. They know, they know that they're being tracked now, right? And so they, they should have the ability to know that. Um, I just think it's going to really hurt a lot of the digital ecosystem when you're a third party collector. A lot of that stuff is just going to go away and it's going to make it a little harder for marketers to find that user and connect all of those, those dots as people kind of go across different browsers and different um, devices. Do you, well, do you think it's going to be, I, I, I have a hard time thinking it's consumers that are going to force this kind of uniform legislation. It really does seem now that with like Google and what Safari's done with removing cookies, um, that maybe they're trying to take the onus to keep people within or keep the data within their platforms uh, as close as possible. I mean, do you, do you think it's, the consumer is smart in theory, but is also wildly addicted to convenience? you know, who do you, who do you think ultimately ends up driving that, uh, that change? Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's the large tech companies that are going to drive that change, uh, and drive it to their benefit. Right. So, you know, these kind of preemptive, if you kind of think preemptive strikes of taking, uh, third party cookies away, you know, it's going to cause in marketing terms, the wall guards to be more walled, right? You're going to have less ability to kind of go across all these different platforms. Uh, and that data is going to become even more valuable and people are not going to give up the, the conveniences that they are used to. Nope. Um, and they're, and I, I think a lot of people are going to opt in. They're going to know maybe where their data is going, but at the end of the day, like, you know, if they're using, let's say Google sign in for everything, mm -hmm. right? Facebook sign in for everything right? And be able to go cross browser, cross device uh, is going to be really, it's going to be an annoyance for a customer if, if there aren't those services provided by those large companies. And so who stands to benefit are, are really the, the ones that are getting the share of the advertising now, which is Google and Facebook, right? I mean, you know, that's, that's not going to change. Uh, and I also think just, you know, think of this pandemic. It's just, it's so telling. Where did, where did all the money go when TV ads are, TV ad revenue is dropping 35%. Google's revenue in the first quarter was up still 13%, right? So advertisers know it works and they're going to go to these large, these large media or tech conglomerates and consumers are also going to go to these large tech conglomerates because they have what they want and make things convenient for them. Okay. Last question for today. This is a big one. Ready? <laughs> I love your buildup. I always do. Okay, TJ, are you familiar with Quibi? It, that is the streaming service. I know a little bit about it, but I know they have it's kind a, of launched. It's, it is a mobile-centric uh, streaming service that just recently launched. We're, we're talking, uh, what, how much money did they raise, Jeff? I, I mean, quite a bit. You don't have to, you don't have to put a, a, a number on. TJ, if you'd like me to give you a little bit more background on Quibi, Jim and I have a little bit of... of <laughs> Uh, Meg Whitman, formerly of HP and eBay, and uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg started Quibi. And yeah. functionally what it is, is 
shows and series under 10 minutes that are only available on mobile phones. They have raised an insanely large amount of number or a large amount of money, but they've done it in order to create original content. And now I'll let Jim give his one-sided opinion on whatever this question is. <laughs> no, this is, this is an unbiased question. This is sure. purely just a question. And the question is, Jeffrey Katzenberg has gone on record as saying the, I don't know that I would use the word failure, but the disappointing start for Quibi has to do with COVID. It, it's actually, he's blaming COVID for this. Is it actually fair to blame COVID or is it just a failed uh, business, business plan overall? To try so to maybe if we take Quibi out of this for a second. Thank okay. you. Um, and we think about like just content right now, right? So you're seeing content come directly from the theaters to you know a Netflix or a Disney Plus, right? And so there's going to be a huge content issue for a lot of these streaming services for the rest of the year, right? I mean, if people aren't working, they're not finishing their, their actual content, Quibi included, the content isn't being finished and being pushed to 2021. So there's going to be a legitimate content issue because in 2021, you're now going to have the effects of everybody releasing all their stuff all at once. Now you're going to have a ton of content. Um, but right now, I, I think some of those those streaming, like HBO Max included, are going to have issues getting some of that content outside of your Netflix, who has a pretty large library of content that they've paid for or curated or can take from another country and put uh, into the States, right? Um, Quibi might not have that that luxury right now. And so there, there could be some issues with the content that they're able to get and curate um, because of COVID potentially, um, that would be, that, that would be my, my opinion on so, that, but I don't think it's necessarily a Quibi issue completely. Teach, so you have some background on this when, when Quibi first kind of became public, it was under the radar for a while. I, uh, I began, began espousing its virtues, uh, for consumer behavior, um, on day one. And Jim, who is always the pragmatist, was not willing to buy in. And not only did he not buy in, he is, I would say, quadrupled down on kind of shoving it back in my face. Now, Quibi being episodes that you can watch in 10 minutes or under is built for a commuter environment in large cities. It's built for people sitting on trains. It's built for people we're trying to squeeze things in, in between other things and on mobile phones because of the proliferation. And Jim, the pandemic has offered Jim an opportunity to gloat uh, <laughs> at, a, at a public level, which frankly, it, I, I appreciate. <laughs> so that's why you've become a pawn in his game. I mean, I think, you know, so, you know, now knowing that context, I mean, you know, you kind of hear that, um, you know, how quickly do you think Quibi just gets purchased by one of the tech giants? I, I think it's, I think it's, that becomes a really interesting question because your, you know, the, the content play is there just like Netflix, just like Amazon, you're, you know, you're, you're signing these mega deals with content creators, you know, and even take it, you know, into podcasting, take it into, you know, Rogan getting all this attention. It's a Spotify deal. Yeah, you're, you're, you're taking 
you know, you're, you're, you're putting it on these people and then, you know, I'm signing a deal. It's worth X amount of money. I'm signing Jerry Seinfeld. And then you're creating the content. Um, I think that actually becomes more likely. If you would have said, if there was never the pandemic and it just had a failed start, I would look at it and say, there's no way the people who uh, started this are, are too used to winning. One of the first content creators was Spielberg and you know they've got Chance the Rapper, they've got all these you know, popular icons. I would have never in a million years. Now I look at it and I say, you know, that's a, that's a possibility. People look at a rockier economic output for the next 18 months and they go, okay, well, maybe instead of looking at our investment and, and getting a, a five or a six X return on it, we're looking at breaking it, breaking even or not, not, uh, you know, not losing as much as we could have. I don't know what the financial situation looks like, but once again, it's putting Jim in a, in a position to gloat, which I mean, his high horse is extraordinarily high. Yeah. Quibi is all about winning the meeting and that, that's pretty much it. They get all the investments. They've got uh, blue chip, um, business folks running the show, huge networks. Yeah. sounds like an awful combination of things, but you know what commuters really like, especially in urban areas, they like podcasts. And yeah, if right. I was going to put my money down on something right now, it would be Spotify. Spotify is moving in the right direction. I well, think Spotify is better equipped to do what Quibi's doing right now, uh, down the road than Quibi is. Um, so that, that's, that's just my personal take, but all kidding aside, uh, I just thought it was interesting. And yes, there are some um, obvious environmental factors that have, have come into play, but it's tough. It's tough to just go into a pure play new content business without having a, a legitimate library of content. I mean, look at it right now. Production is tied up because of COVID. There, there's going to be residual effects of, you, you know, those that have back channel content already in the queue are going to end up benefiting um, when we talk about streaming. So it, it's a tough time to be uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, but you know, I like, I like a fair fight and this is not necessarily a fair fight, but they're already pivoting away from their, their original business uh, plan. So it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. TJ, um, what are you going to say about Spotify? Well, you know, I just think it's interesting that, you know, in the age of like creating content, right? Like nothing will get, like if you just think of ratings or listenership, nothing will get what it used to get just because of proliferation and all these different ways to consume content, but stars win. That's why Joe Rogan was a big catch for Spotify. Right. And Spotify I, probably is going to be finding other stars. Right. Um, and if you really think about it, like Joe Rogan has 190 million downloads a month, right? A month, a month which is huge. That's huge. But think about this. NBC, just one show, NBC Nightly News brings in over 10 million viewers a day. So one show brings in the equivalent of, of, a, of a Joe Rogan, and that's just one. So like you think, you're like, man, Joe Rogan, how can he pull all of this money and, and have so much clout? It's because of just his, his format and like how much he means to his consumer, right? And so, you know, they might get the same number, but I don't think the raw numbers mean as much as what he means to his consumer and what, you know, obviously like his advertiser, like when I listen to it, I, I listen to Joe Rogan occasionally. I can remember every single thing he says of like, of, of his, of the advertisers that he has on, right? That's a tremendous power. I can't, re I can't remember one commercial from NBC Nightly News, right? And so, you know, 
it's not the raw numbers of what they're bringing in. I don't think that's that's the case because if you just look at raw numbers, probably even traditional TV is still beating. Think of any YouTube video I've ever seen, right? I mean, it, it probably beats that night tonight. It's it's the power of the actual individual brand that is now associated with these larger companies that I think are going to win out. Hot take. All right. Well, guys, you've been very generous with your time today. It's been a great conversation. TJ, thank you for joining us. Um, Jeff, I guess we'll see you back here next week. I guess we'll see you back here next week is right, my friend. TJ, thank you as always. It's nice yeah. to put you on the hot seat for once instead of having me the other way around asking me questions. Thanks again, guys, for having me. Absolutely. Good luck to you and the family surviving the rest of this, uh, whatever this pandemic is. We'll talk to you soon. Take care, everyone.